We're finishing our sermon series this morning on what it means to be called during such a time as this, and we're finishing with the call of Paul the Pharisee from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your Spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will. For all of us as your church, and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A year or so ago, about this time, Julianne and I drove up to Nashville, Tennessee to see the Georgia Vanderbilt game. We took her car, which at the time was a fairly new car, and it had all kinds of new bells and whistles. It had the new sunroof, it had Bluetooth, it had all that jazz like that. It even had a little camera that was positioned right above her, dr- her license plate, and it showed the back of the car so that anytime you put the car in reverse, you could see what was behind you in reverse safely. Now, apparently this is on all cars now, but at the time I thought it was a pretty cool little trick. 
We drove on up to Nashville, and her parents met us up there and got to the hotel before we did, and so they saved a little place in the parking lot for us to park. And so I pulled in and decided I would try to back into that parking space using the little camera. Her father, my father-in-law, was nice enough to stand out there and try to direct me, but I said, oh, no, no, I've got this handy-dandy little camera, and it'll help me get right into that parking space. I slowly started to back in, and before you know it, I heard this little bump, this little crunch right over my left shoulder, and I realized I had backed into something. It was a safety barrier on this other side that was right there in my blind spot. Now, I have to be honest with you, in my driving history, I've probably backed into a lot of things over the years, but this was the first time I backed into something while my father-in-law was watching. Luckily, he was a lot more graceful with me than my own father or my brother or my own family would have been. He walked over and looked at it and said, oh, I'm sure we can buff that dent out pretty quickly. Needless to say, that dent is still in Julianne's car right now. But I backed on in and realized that maybe I couldn't just rely on the camera. It was important for me to check my blind spot. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning, blind spots. We all have blind spots, not just in our car, but in our lives and in our faith. In fact, that's something that we believe as Reformed Christians in the Reformed Church. We know that we have blind spots. We still have things that we need to learn. Even now, no matter how much we think we have right, there is always more we can learn. That's why the motto of the Reformed Church is reformed and always being reformed. There's always still more that we can learn, always still more that we can see, and God is always reforming us. And God calls us to check our blind spots, to look for those things that we haven't seen, that we're not aware of, so that we can continue to grow every single day as disciples, to wake up in the morning and try even harder every day to be more like who Jesus Christ has called us to be. And that's not just Reformed Christians, that's all Christians who are called to do that, even Paul the Apostle from our passage this morning. You've heard this passage about Paul before, this calling of Paul the Apostle, Paul the Pharisee, this conversion of Paul. And most of us would look at this and say, none of us have had a call story quite like Paul, a bright light flash, a big booming voice from the sky. But I dare say all of us are called, like Paul, to check our blind spots and to understand those things that we currently cannot see. Paul, as you know, was a Pharisee. He was around just after Jesus had passed away and and raised from the dead. And Paul, because he was a faithful Pharisee, he knew the law and studied the law. He also believed it was his job to enforce the law, to go around to all of the people around him, all the good Jews around him, and make sure they were doing the right thing and following the law the way they should. And so when he heard about these upstart Christians, these people that were following the way, as it's called in our passage, He wanted to correct them, and he began to persecute them, to arrest them, and in some cases even kill them. The first time we see Paul, or Saul as he's sometimes referred to, uh, we see him in in the death of Stephen the martyr. And now we see him once again. He is heading off down the road to Damascus because he's heard there's some Christians there, and he wants to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And on the way down the road, this booming voice from the sky cries out with a a loud flash as well saying, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you 
persecuting me. And then in that big flash, Paul goes blind. We think of it as booming voices and loud, bright flashes, but, but for Paul, it was about blindness. Paul became blind, but Jesus had a purpose for, call, for causing Paul to go blind. It was in causing him to go blind that, Paul, that Jesus helped Paul finally see, to see those blind spots that he had not been able to see before. Like I said, all of us have blind spots. All of us have blind spots in our faith where we can't quite see all the things that God calls us to do, even who God calls us to be. And that doesn't mean we don't have the best intentions. We always want to be faithful. We always believe we were being faithful, just like Paul believed he was being faithful as a Pharisee. But we all have times when our eyes should be opened and we can see once again how God is calling us in a new direction in a different way. I remember when I was in college, my college uh, Kirk group, we, we called it Westminster Fellowship back then, but our, our Kirk group at William & Mary decided to go and do a service project for our fall break. We went to Pocahontas County, West Virginia, where we were building a, a habitat project for a woman there named Renita. Renita was a black woman who had, had never had an indoor toilet in her house. She had always had to go out to an outhouse, and so the local habitat group there had been bringing in volunteers to come and build an indoor bathroom in her house, and we were a part of that. We were so glad to be able to give up a week of our time. We felt the adequate amount of self-righteousness as college students to to give up a week of our freedom to go and and help someone in need, and even more so to create this tangible example of, of what service was about, to leave something behind so that we knew Renita's life would truly be changed because we had been there. We were doing work for the first few days and and working pretty hard at that. And about the second or third day, Renita came into the house. She had gone down to the local gas station and come back with some peanut butter crackers and a little bit of soda. And she offered that little snack to all the people who were inside, all of the students there. And and all of us said, no, no, that's, that's your food. We have far more than you have. We come from families who are far more wealthy than you are. You, you need to use your resources to help take care care of yourself. We have plenty. We don't need any crackers or snacks. You, you eat that for yourself. Now, of course, our intention was to, to help her, to be there for her, to be selfless with, through our words and through our actions. But a few minutes later, another student came in the door, a young girl named Cameron who had been working outside. And Renita, once again, offered those crackers and that soda to her. And this time, Cameron said, sure. And she ate a few of the peanut butter crackers And I overheard Renita say to Cameron, out of all the groups that have come through, you are the first person that has accepted my crackers and my soda. You are the first person that has allowed me to share hospitality. Thank you. And in that moment, I saw my blind spot. I saw in that moment how I had been treating Renita as if she was less than me, when all she wanted was to do what I like to do when people come over to my house, is show them hospitality, show them care, make them feel welcome. I was treating her as if she was not as valuable as I was. She needed me, but I didn't need her. And in that moment, I realized maybe what she needed most of all was to know that the world needed her too. 
We all have blind spots like that, and it has nothing to do with our intentions. We have the best of intentions, but we just can't see sometimes how what we do hurts other people. That's what Paul was doing as a Pharisee. He had the best of intentions. He thought he was following God, but truly, God wanted him to follow Jesus Christ. Our blind spots don't measure our intentions. Our blind spots measure our awareness, our empathy, our ability to see the world the way other people around us see the world. And so God calls us every single day to humble ourselves, to examine ourselves, to try to see the world through the eyes of other people. And we often take those blind spots for granted. I might walk into the house and say something insensitive without even knowing that it hurt Julianne's feelings. And I soon realize that I said something that I didn't even have the intention of, of saying to be hurtful. Or I might be taking a coworker for granted. They're carrying so much work here without even realizing that they're also carrying a lot of burdens at home. Or I might be rude to someone who works at the grocery store cutting the, the deli meat without realizing that that person can barely make ends meet, can barely pay their bills. I don't realize often how my life affects the people around me. But God calls us to check those blind spots, to look for ways that we are taking other people for granted and maybe even taking ourselves for granted in the process because in doing so, we become more faithful disciples. God calls us to check our blind spots. So how do we do that? Well, that's tough because we can't do that on our own. We can only check our blind spots through relationships. Relationships with people who have different perspectives than we do. We have to have the courage to enter into relationships with people who sometimes try our patience, who sometimes make us angry, who sometimes force us to look at ourselves in a way that we really don't want to look at ourselves. That's what happens in our passage today. Jesus Christ calls Paul and Ananias to come together. The courage of Ananias, who already knew who Paul was, this person who persecuted Christians, and the humility of Paul, who was blind and needed help from someone who until that time had been his enemy. Anne Lamott tells a wonderful little story in one of her books about being a Sunday school teacher at a church in Northern California where she attended. It actually was a church, church that was mostly uh, attended by black people, African Americans, and yet she had chosen to be a part of that church and active, play an active role in the life of that church. She was the Sunday school teacher for many of the children. But as Sunday school teachers go, at times she got really tired of always having to come up with new ideas and, and always having to try to work with children who sometimes tried her patience. And so one day she went to the senior pastor there at the church, a, a black woman named Veronica, and she said, Veronica, I am tired of doing this. I need help. Why can't you ask some of the other people in the pews, including some of those black people, to come and help me in the Sunday school classroom? Aren't they just being lazy? Why can't they come and help me? Veronica stopped Anne in her tracks and said, Wait a minute. Have you ever thought about the fact that they don't feel called to teach like you do? Have you ever thought about the fact that they maybe think their gifts and their skills are better placed somewhere else, but they've never been asked to do that? 
Some of them might feel called to be worship leaders. Some of them might feel called to be Stephen ministers. Some of them might feel called to be elders. But maybe they just don't feel like they are called to serve the same way you feel called to serve. And through that relationship with Veronica, Anne found another blind spot. She realized she was taking the people that she sat next to in the pews for granted. She thought they needed to see the church and see service to the church and see the Sunday school classes the same way she saw it. But really, what she needed to do was try to find a way to see the world through the eyes of the people around her. We're called every single day to be better disciples, to wake up each morning and try a little bit harder to grow closer to the standard that Jesus Christ set for us. And we can only do that if we have the courage to enter into relationships with other people who can help us see the world in ways that we can't see it on our own. And I have to tell you here at Faith Presbyterian Church, I feel like we have a unique ability to do that. Because of the work of the people, the, the, the staff that came before me, we have tried very hard to preserve a congregation that has a diversity of ideas, both ideological thoughts from our politics as well as social ideas. We've tried to find a way to, to keep people together in spite of the fact that the world around us has become more and more polarized. Now, I have to tell you that preservation of diversity doesn't always feel like a blessing because we argue from time to time. We disagree from time to time. But over the past few weeks, I have tried harder and harder to see that as a blessing, to see that as an opportunity so that we can help each other see our blind spots. If we have the courage that Ananias had to enter into relationship with each other, to enter into difficult conversations, to try to see the world through each other's eyes, to have a little bit of empathy and a little bit of self-awareness. We have that ability to do that here at Faith, but truly all of us have that ability if we'll just have that courage to enter into relationships with people who are different than us. If we'll take a step out of our comfort zone and reach out to somebody, maybe from a different church or from a different neighborhood or maybe even someone who has less money than us or more money than us, maybe someone who looks different than us, if we'll just take that chance and reach out and have that relationship, we can grow. We can be different people because we can check those blind spots and somehow be able to see. That's who God calls us to be. And that's what I think God is calling Faith Presbyterian to do in the year to come to look at the ways that we use our money, to look at the ways we use our time, to look at the ways that we use our energy, but also to look at our relationships. Our relationships with people in the pew, our relationships with our neighbors around us in Tallahassee, to look at all of those relationships and try to see things that we haven't been able to see before. That's what God calls us to do. But the only way we can do that is if we have the courage of Ananias, and if we have the humility of Paul to enter into that relationship together, because it's in that relationship that we can check those blind spots and finally see things that we could never see before. Thanks be to God. Amen.